We became entrepreneurs because more than anything, we want freedom. We want to be in control of our own schedule, income, and life. But unfortunately, that isn't always the reality of being a business owner. I'm Gillian Perkins, and I'm on a mission to take back entrepreneurship for what it's supposed to be. In every episode, I'll share with you how to get the most out of every hour you work so that you can work less and earn more. Let's get to it. This episode won't be the first time I've talked about how to build a successful business when you have no audience, how to start from scratch and start making money as quickly as possible. But we're taking a different angle at it this time. Today, I'm joined by guest host, Jenna Colavito. Jenna is one of our Validate students. If you're not familiar, Validate is our eight-week accelerator program that guides people to have their first profitable launch with their online course. Jenna is currently midway through the program, and she's been crushing it, but she has a few questions about how to actually make this work since she doesn't really have an audience right now. So what I decided to do was invite Jenna on the show and have me ask her questions here so that we can get them recorded and share them with all of you. Just a little bit about Jenna before we get into it. She is the creator of Intro to Adulthood, an online course of practical life skills for young people who are transitioning to independent adulthood. That is the course that she is currently working to launch via the Validate program. She's also a mother of two kids, an army wife, and she works as an administrator for a law firm in Connecticut. So I'm very excited to introduce Jenna to you today and to share this intel on how to launch your course, even if you don't have an audience. Hey there, Jenna. Welcome to Work Less, Earn More. It is so good to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on here, Gillian. This is an incredible opportunity to get to interview you and ask you some questions that are specific to where I am in the process of creating an online course. This is really, really an incredible opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am really excited about this conversation we're going to have because this is a topic that I love talking about. But sometimes, you know, I am imagining what people are wondering about it or what people need help with. And so the reason I wanted to bring you on the show is because I've been thinking about how I want to be getting more real questions from real people about like the real challenges that they're facing and make sure that I am speaking to those particular challenges. And I also think it's so helpful to see advice in action or applied to specific situations instead of applied to theoretical situations. So with that in mind, let's get into your question. Okay. So the topic that I wanted to cover today was how to launch when you have absolutely no audience. So this is my first time creating an online course, trying to think about growing any sort of audience online. And prior to this, all I've ever really done is just I've had my personal network of my friends and my family members that I'm in community with. And going beyond that seems like a skill that needs to be learned as opposed to just something that comes naturally. A little bit about what I'm working on. I'm working on an online course called Intro to Adulthood. And that course is designed to help young people transition into independent adulthood by teaching them practical life skills. So all the things that you really need to know as an adult that they probably didn't teach you in high school. And it's broken down into three modules of taking care of your finances, your belongings, and yourself. But this is the first time that I am trying to reach anyone outside of my friends and family. So my first question is, so you have what you think is a great idea for a product, but you have no audience. You have a network of family, friends, and acquaintances, but not a true audience. 
how would you approach deciding which of these people within your personal network to officially beta launch or launch your idea to, assuming that you just create a list of people that would fit your prototype of an ideal client or close to it and start with them? But I would love for you to expand on that. So assuming you have only a relatively small network of friends and family, which I think is the case for most people, I would recommend that when you do your beta launch, that you make a list of literally everyone who you know, who you have a relationship with, who you have a connection to. And I think that you will find, you know, you have too many people already to maybe put on a list because there's all those like sort of connections. But make a list of all the people who you actually know. And then I want you to organize that list into three groups of people. Okay, so the first group will be people who you know are not interested in this product. You know, so for example, your course is called Intro to Adulthood. So people who are like competent adults, probably, you know, not interested in your product, right? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Then the second list would be people who you think might be interested, like you don't really know. They're kind of this like middle ground. You think like maybe you can see why it might be helpful to them or you know a reason why they might be interested, but you probably think it's still probably not. Maybe you don't think they're the kind of person who buys courses, or maybe you think they might be interested, but you don't think it's really the right fit for them. Or Okay, so middle ground. And then the third group of people will be people who you think should be interested or wouldn't be interested, okay? So either you think they would want to buy your product or you think your product would be really helpful to them. So just organize everyone you know into these three groups. Now, it's totally okay if they're like, no one in that final category just talking about the people who you think actually would buy your product. Ideally, I'd say you have one or two or three people in that pool of people who you at least think would be a good fit for your product, even if you don't think that they would necessarily want to buy it. But it's okay if there's no one in that pool. And then what I want you to do is actually think about beta launching to all three groups, okay? But we want to approach them really differently. We're going to say something really different to each of them. So to those people who we think are a good fit for the product, We want to reach out to them, tell them what we're working on. Of course, go into it conversationally and with an opening ear. And it's not like we're going into this as a sales pitch, okay? In fact, I do not want your goal to be sales when you talk to these people. I want your goal to be learning. Learning what they really want, why they want it. Would they be interested in a product like this? Why or why not? So it's just overall learning about their desires and also their interest or lack of interest in your product. Go and do it with a student's heart and a student's mind. When you approach that second group of people, the people who you say, like, maybe they're interested, but like, probably not, but maybe. So those people, I want you to just, again, like we're going into it with a student's mind, but just like tell them about what you're working on and ask them, like, is that something you'd ever be interested in? Or do you know anyone who might be interested? And then when you approach the first group of people, the people who you are like, sure, are not interested, Well, that's cool. Just tell them about what you're working on. And just like as a life update, basically like, hey, I just wanted to share with you. This is what I've got going on. And by the way, if you hear about anyone, and then this is where you need to know who your product is for. Okay. If you know anyone and then describe that person, I would love it if you sent them my way, or I'd love it if you told them about this new thing. Ideally, you probably want them to send the person to you, like give them my number or send them to my website or something like that, rather than like, telling them about the product because that person you're talking to right then who you have a relationship with, they don't have enough information about your product. They're not equipped to be able to sell your product to someone else. So asking them to tell someone about your product probably isn't going to lead anywhere, but asking them to help you get connected with people like that could. 
Okay, that actually really leads perfectly into what my second question was about, which is marketing specifically to your personal network. And you kind of touched on this a little bit before when you were saying that it's not necessarily a sales pitch. It's more you're trying to pick their brain. Like you're saying, hey, what do you think about this to start the conversation? Yeah. So this question is a little bit about how if you're doing an official beta launch, like, okay, I'm going to launch this on October 20th or something like that. How do you make that formal announcement? Or do you make a formal announcement to people within your network? Because giving a sales pitch to people in your personal network feels a little bit different than pitching it to strangers. Because if you're talking to people that you know, like there is that familiarity. And I question if, okay, are you just going to maybe buy this because you're a friend of mine and you want to support me versus is this actually something that you're interested in? So how formal is it when you're pitching that official beta launch within your personal network? So I don't want you to try to pitch it to your network at large. When you are talking about it to people in public, so for example, if you're posting about it on your Instagram account or on your Facebook page or something like that, I want it to be focused on sharing just what you're working on, just like letting people know what you are up to so that you become known for being an expert on that topic, for being the creator of that product, for being the owner of a business that does that, rather than trying to sell to them. I want you to instead be establishing your perception, how people perceive you, because that is what will then lead them to potentially tell other people about it or to look you up or to check out your product, okay? If you are pitching on social media, then the algorithm will hate you. It doesn't matter what platform you're on. People don't tend to engage with sales content on social media because it's not engaging, right? And it's the sort of thing where it's kind of like a rhetorical question almost. Like you ask them on a rhetorical question, you don't expect an answer. If you tell someone about a product, like if it's an advertisement, you don't really expect an immediate response. You expect them to think about it and then maybe come back to it later. That doesn't work well with how algorithms on social media work. They want instant reaction. People are not going to like a post about a product they're thinking about buying most of the time. So we want to just think about kind of establishing our presence, establishing our expertise, getting people to know that we do this. Now, this may mean that first luncheon are really small. Now, when inside of Validate, uh, we get people to have a really successful very first launch, okay? When they're first launching a product, that's when other people tend to be excited about what you're doing just because it's new, it's fresh. Like, if you wrote a book, your friends would be like, wow, that's so cool. You know, you wrote your first book. And if you launch a podcast, people like get behind you. They think it's exciting. So we really want to capitalize on that initial excitement that goes along with creating a new product. Um, and also tap into any people who you do know or are like friends of friends, those second degree connections that would be the perfect fit. So right off the bat, like the ideal customers who are already in your circle or your sphere of influence. But especially as a second, third launches when your audience is tiny, tiny, often can be really lackluster. And I think that it's important that we accept that that's okay and that's normal. And that this is just like laying groundwork of building the business. It's laying the groundwork of your marketing. It's where you are developing that expertise. You're starting to put out those feelers kind of. Get people to, in the future, refer customers to you. So if second and third launches are lackluster, don't throw in the towel and think this isn't working. That's really important. You need to keep going because you are building momentum even though you can't see what's going on. Okay, great. So for those first launches then, since you're not officially pitching within your personal network, 
How do you go about gauging what a quote-unquote successful beta launch would look like? How do you start to understand the numbers for yourself? Because if you're only just sort of telling people about it casually and letting people know about it and say, okay, I'm doing this thing and starting to establish yourself as that presence within your own network at first, Mm -hmm. what's the math like? How do you set those expectations so that you can consider that first launch a success or failure, even if the numbers that you're working with are relatively small? Yeah, such a good question. So feel free to redirect me because I have like a few different aspects of this I want to touch on. So so if I don't finish answering the question, we can come back to it. Go for it. So let's see. So first of all, we want to be thinking about how can we guide people to complete this purchase process, right? So we want to go from somehow having a conversation to actually closing the sale. So a great way you can do this is to have an official wait list set up so that people can put their name on the wait list and then they have raised their hand, giving you permission to follow up with them in a more direct sales capacity. So as you're having conversations with people, whether you think they, well, let's say the people who you think might be a good fit, we can conclude the conversation not with, do you want to buy this thing right now? But instead, it seems like you're interested in this. Would you like me to put you on the wait list and tell you when the product launches? Or you can go to this website and put your name on the wait list if you're interested, okay? We want them to make this decision. We want it to be a really easy decision to make. Similarly, when you're talking to those other people who are not a good fit, but you're hoping might be able to connect you with people who are, with those people, we can say, I have a wait list set up for the product. So if you hear of anyone, if you know anyone, you think might be a good fit, feel free to like send them to my website and tell them that there is a wait list. I still would really recommend, though, that you focus on getting them to send the people back to you, and then you send the lead if it seems like a good fit to the wait list, okay? Because again, you're going to be the most equipped to be able to sell the product. Even if you're not to the point of actually asking for the money yet, having that conversation is selling the product. You're pre-selling the product. You're getting people ready to buy. You're getting people interested or turning them away. Okay. Another aspect is you were talking about like goal setting and like how do we decide if this first launch is successful or not? So the reason why this is important is because we need to know if It is successful because we need to decide whether or not we're going to continue to pursue this idea. One of the most valuable aspects of the first launch, there's two real goals for the first launch. One is to determine, is there demand for this product? Can I find anyone who wants to buy this thing? And then the second thing is that we are trying to figure out, okay, if there is demand for it, what do people want exactly? Why do they want it? We want to learn how to sell it effectively. Now, that's something that you're going to learn more and more and more as you continue to sell it. But we want to, you know, lay that really solid foundation to start by talking to potential customers before we're ever trying to sell. And then as we're trying to sell, seeing how people are responding to the messages that we're putting out there into the world. So there are reasons why it's important to measure success here. Now, success can be really small, and I would still count it as success, because if with absolutely no momentum at all in your business and a tiny, tiny audience, if you're able to generate even one sale, that is saying a lot. Let's say you know 100 people and you pitch it to 100 people and you manage to get one sale. Okay, so that was 1% of the people who you pitched it to. I mean, take that to the world. That's a lot of sales, right? If you scale that up. Now, of course, the people who you happen to know, they might be more inclined or more likely to be interested in that product. If you were to take it to a group of people who, for example, some people speak another language, right? 
And they're not going to be interested in your product if it's an information product just because they speak a different language, okay? So there's all sorts of different groups of people who might be a lot less interested in the product. But still, in the 100 people you happen to know, 1% of those people are interested, there will be enough people in the world who are interested and who are a good fit. So even one sale. Now, the reason why the metric should not be one sale, though, is because that's not statistically significant. One sale might just be your best friend who wanted to support you. It might be your mom, right? That doesn't really prove anything, okay? Because 1% of people in the world are not your mom. <laughs> okay, that's, that's the quote for this episode. 1% of the people in the world are not your mom. So we need to make sure that we are getting at least a small handful of sales to prove that it's not just your mom, okay? To prove that there's actually a couple people out there to make this data statistically significant, okay? So my general rule of thumb is basically three sales. Now, we've got some math inside of Validate that depends on your product's price. So for example, the more expensive your product is, the fewer sales you need to prove your idea. In fact, if you're selling a product that is thousands of dollars, then really one sale can prove it. Because probably your mom's not going to buy your $1,000 product just to support you. At least my mom wouldn't do that. <laughs> so yeah, it, just, it depends on the price of your product. Also, if you're selling something really cheap, like a $5 template or ebook, then I would like to see ideally more than three sales. Three sales, though, still could definitely validate your idea. But I mean, honestly, three of your friends, if you've got three good friends, they might buy your $5 at template, right? So that's the basic metric. We've got some more specific math inside of validate. Okay, awesome. All right, so let's say that you do make it to that point where you've prepped your, your beta launch, you figured out who in your personal network you're going to launch it to, and you've hopefully made those initial sales. What is the next step? How do you bridge the gap between launching within your network and launching beyond your network? Once you've successfully beta launched and it's time to build an actual audience, where do you begin? Great question. Okay, three things come to my mind. First is we want to make sure we are capitalizing on that first launch. I'd say that the two most difficult points in your business are one, making those first sales just because it's really hard to get that momentum and to go from zero to even like one or two or three sales. The second really hard point is to do exactly what you're talking about, to bridge that gap because it's just a completely different challenge or at least it can feel like a completely different challenge to make the next 10 sales. Even if your first launch was more successful than what I'm talking about here, even if you managed to get 10 or 15 or 20 sales in that first round, you have immediately kind of tapped out all of the connections you have. So how do you now go on to make another five or 10 or 20 sales or you know, 100 or 1,000 sales when now you don't know anyone else who wants to buy your product, okay? So we don't need to make sure we capitalize on that first launch. We use it as a leverage to go on to grow. And the specific thing I have in mind here is testimonials. Testimonials are really powerful when it comes to sales, especially if you really put them to work for you. So, you know, just like a couple reviews on Yelp or something like that, or a couple Amazon reviews, that's not going to be the game changer. But if you've got a sales page for your product and you get a couple, like literally two really good testimonials, you put them on your sales page, you can double your sales page conversion and that can be really valuable. So when we have the first few handful of customers, reach out to them personally and not just ask for the testimonial, but like connect with them. This is a new tiny audience you need to establish a strong relationship with to help them get the best results with your product possible, to have the best experience with your product possible so that you can get the best testimonial and get referrals. That is huge. Getting those initial customers, wowing them so that they want to sing your praises from the rooftop, 
that can be leveraged to build your audience and your business on. So that's the first thing. Second thing is don't quit the strategy you've already started trying. Basically, what we did with that very first initial launch was we started to network. People build entire multi-million dollar businesses on networking alone, okay? I'm not going to say that's the norm. You know, most multi-million dollar businesses are also built on advertising and content marketing and other things, but it can be done. And people regularly build six-figure businesses on networking alone. My local accountant, just as a random example, my local accountant, he has a multi-six-figure business. He's never run a Facebook ad in his life. He's not on YouTube. He doesn't write blog posts. He gets all of his business through networking. And then each of his clients pays him a couple thousand dollars a year. And that does it. Just one little example. The same thing can happen with an online course or coaching program or really any sort of product. I will say that networking is, it's easier to have it be more effective. It's easier to make more money with it with more expensive products. So if you are selling an ebook, networking probably isn't going to cut it for making a living with your ebook. But if you have a more expensive online course or a coaching program than it or a done-for-you service, then it certainly can. So basically, with that, we need to keep that ball rolling. We've started networking. We need to continue connecting with people and then connecting to people through those people. We want to be finding people who are interested in help with the thing that we are helping them out with, providing value. But other kinds of networking can be valuable also. So for example, If you have a podcast, aside from the content marketing aspect of it, inviting people to be a guest on your show is a way of networking. This is one example. Hiring people can be a way of networking. Going to mixers can be a way of networking. Joining like a mastermind group or a membership like Startup Society or a coaching program yourself, like a group coaching program where you are paying for access to a group, that is a form of networking. Networking doesn't have to just look like going to mixers or talking to people in Facebook groups. Any way that we can connect with other people in our industry or really anyone at all who might know our target customers, those are people who you then later can reach out to as that group of people I talked about earlier, people who you don't think are interested in your product and you just tell them what you're up to and ask them if they happen to know anyone or like let them know if you know anyone, if you come across anyone, like send them my way. And that's going to just spread your net further and further. Then the third thing we want to think about is starting to work on our content marketing strategy and or advertising strategy. I prefer and recommend to people that they focus on content marketing first because when your business isn't yet making money, I'm just very debt averse when it comes to non-certain investments. Okay, so I think that if you know the return or there's like, it's a low-risk return, a low-risk investment, then you're investing. And if it's a high-risk return, you're gambling. And so spending money on Facebook ads when you have not yet validated all of the messaging, when you have a proven working funnel, I would qualify as gambling. People consider it to be investing in their business. And if it pans out and they end up with a positive ROI, I guess maybe they were, or maybe they just won the lottery. (laughs) But I would really recommend that you start with content marketing, both because then you're not gambling, that's good. And also because you just learn so much by creating content. You get to see people's reactions to your content. You work out your thoughts on paper. You develop your methodology or your systems or whatever you're teaching more thoroughly. You will become a better teacher by creating content and you will attract qualified leads in the process. Now, content marketing 100% is a long game. 
So that's kind of why it's important that you start early, you start messy, you just start creating content. But also it's important that we, while we start messy, we work on improving as quickly as possible. And we do have like a high bar for quality. There's this idea out there like, don't be too much of a perfectionist. The quality work is good enough. It's more important to get it out there. And while I 100% agree that like done is better than perfect, I think that sometimes that gives people permission to publish the quality work. And they think, oh, it's good enough. You know, I just need to keep showing up. I just need to keep getting out there. Quality does matter. Like quality is king, as they say sometimes. Doesn't matter what platform you're on. You'll have a hard time growing if your quality is significantly less than your competition, right? So we do need to make sure that we both have consistency and we have quality. And the other big broad strength content marketing, don't spread yourself too thin. You don't need to be on all the platforms. When I'm talking about, you know, like doing a good job with content marketing, I'm talking about with each piece of content that you publish. It's way better to double down on one platform, just one platform, create high quality content on that one platform consistently. That's going to get you so much further than publishing less often or with less quality on multiple platforms. Okay, interrupting this conversation for just a moment to tell you a little bit about Validate. So as you heard at the beginning of this episode, Jenna is currently enrolled in Validate. She's midway through the program. She is doing an awesome job. And what she is working toward is to launch this course that she's talking about, Intro to Adulthood, out into the world. Now, Validate is an eight-week accelerator program. And the reason we call it an accelerator program is because it is the fast track to one goal. So for eight weeks, we just go hard on this goal of birthing your course and sharing it with the world in the most profitable way possible. So often people struggle to get their online course created. They struggle to share it with the world. And when they finally do, if they do, then they don't make any money with it. They don't manage to make a single sale. Well, we created Validate to change that to make it so more people can launch their course successfully and make money from day one. Inside Validate, we teach students how to do market research to make sure there's demand for their product before they ever put time into creating it. Then we teach them how they can launch before they create their course and how they can do so with full authenticity and feeling really good about the product that they're selling rather than like they're just making it up as they go. And then finally, we teach them how to have a really successful and profitable launch, earning their first dollars online. But even more than that, as I say so often to the students, it's not so much about the money that lands in your bank account. It's about what that money means. Because what that money means is that people actually want what you have to offer. And it means that you're on the right track, that you are working on a business that really has potential and that you can really turn into something big. So right now, if you're sitting on the sidelines thinking about maybe someday creating an online course, but you have no idea if you could actually get it done or how to actually sell it, then I would love to invite you to join us for one of our next Validate cohort. We run the program just a couple of times per year so that we can really focus in on the students and go all in with them. So if you want to find out when Validate is next enrolling, then I want you to head to gillianperkins.com slash validate. Again, that's gillianperkins.com slash validate. You can read all about the program and you can find out when we will be running our next cohort. And most importantly, you can get your name on the wait list so that I can send you an email when that cohort opens up for enrollment. 
All right, now let's get back to my conversation with Jenna. That kind of leads well into the next question that I had as well. The purpose of that beta launch is to kind of figure out if you have that marketable idea and to validate the idea before you're investing too much time into creating the product. But at the same time, that beta launch is the first impression that your product is going to receive out there in the real world. And it's going to be the thing that starts the word of mouth process about your product. So how do you balance out how much time to spend preparing for your beta launch so that you are presenting a product with a high enough quality to make a good first impression without spending too much time on it before you have fully validated your idea? Okay, question for you. Are you talking about the impression that you make with your marketing? So making your marketing materials look professional enough or with the product itself so that after someone buys it, they have a good enough experience? The question was originally intended for the product itself. Okay. Because that's going to be the thing where like, if you get someone to not only purchase it, but to complete your course or to use the product that you are offering, that you want them to have a high quality experience. But when you're first creating, you're likely to have a lower quality of content simply because you've never done it before. So how do you figure out how much time to spend. Like if someone's a perfectionist, like I feel like I could tweak this course that I'm working on until I'm dead. Mm -hmm. And and I know that that's not the most effective way to get it out there in the world, but I could keep on making those corrections and editing everything and trying to make it perfect and adding more resources. But how do you give your potential customers a good quality on your first time out? Mm Because that's what's going to create that initial word of mouth. That's what's going to kind of start your ball rolling. But it also might be when you're the least familiar with what you're doing. Okay, so my first bit of advice is a little bit generic, maybe obvious, but keep it simple, keep it small. It's a lot better to do something well if you're doing less. So rather than trying to have your course include everything, whether this is like number of lessons, number of videos, or it is the lessons and a Facebook group and email support and templates and this and that, right? We don't need to include all the resources. Really keep it as simple as possible so that you can focus on the quality there. The other thing would be to consider that there are different ways to provide quality. So one way to provide quality is to have really high professionally produced videos. So if you're sitting in a studio, there's a professional camera, it is highly edited. Well, that course could be beautiful. It could look really professional, but it wouldn't necessarily be helpful. Another way to provide quality would be to show up on Zoom, meet with one person at a time, provide one-on-one coaching, and be really helpful, let's say. So you're both providing like this one-on-one personalized experience. You're helping them with their specific issues. And you are, in fact, being helpful. Now, one of them required a fancy studio and probably quite a bit of money spent maybe on editing or software, things like this. The other one didn't require any of that and could potentially be sold for a much higher price. People tend to spend more money on -on one-on-one coaching than they do on an online course anyway. And then, of course, it's not just those two extremes. With, let's say, an online course that you're going to present the same material either way, You could record the videos yourself and edit them all up and then publish it as an online course. Or at least the first time, you could run it as either a live course or a live class or even a live group coaching program. A lot of the time, there's very little difference between those two things like a live class or a live group coaching program, but people tend to spend more on live group coaching programs. So by doing this, 
You don't necessarily have to have any sort of fancy setup, and you don't have to do any editing of the videos. You can teach each of the lessons live. Now, there's also hybrid ways you can do this, where, for example, you can pre-launch your course, sell it, and then before doing that, you could just like record the first module of the course, for example, so that you're not too pressed for time. Then after people buy, give them access to the first module. Then that week, record module two, edit module two, and release that. And then you could pair that with live Q&A session, for example, that you do each week to, again, up that value without having to like just make your website look a lot fancier or make the quality of the videos a lot higher. My basic point here is that there are different ways to provide value. And a lot of the time, while I do think it is important to look professional, like don't show up with low quality webcam on Zoom in your pajamas, right? (laughs) Um, So we do need to make sure that there's a perception of quality and professionalism. Absolutely. And I think that having a nice looking website and a nicely formatted emails, maybe a nice looking portal for your course, those things go a long way. But it's not the end all be all. And I would way rather see you present your course live or in one of those hybrid ways I was talking about. And to speak to your question about like how much time you should invest ahead of time, I would encourage you to not spend too much, to spend only a few hours because your idea is untested here. And just like I talked about gambling with our money, with advertising, when we don't yet have a proven funnel, you're gambling with your time to invest into a product if you don't yet know that there's really demand for that product. So when we're thinking about you know getting the first three sales for your beta launch, I don't want you spending maybe dozens, hundreds of hours making a big, fancy, and beautiful and perfect online course if maybe it's not even going to pan out. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And then the last of the main questions that I had kind of ties into that like time management stuff. But I think that one of the reasons that I am such a big fan of yours is that you talk about how you balance out your work and your life. Like you are a homeschooling mother of multiple children and you make this work with this big business. I'm a mom of two, I have two jobs, and I'm in the process of creating some sort of online course, or hopefully this online course. I feel a combination of guilt and imposter syndrome while I'm spending time working on this project because it's something that's taking my focus and my time away from my family, and it isn't something that's currently contributing financially to my household. I certainly hope that one day it will contribute financially to my household, but at the moment, it's not. And it feels more like a project or a hobby that I hope will one day be validated and legitimized But in the beginning of the process, devoting time to it comes with some mixed feelings. How do you successfully set aside time to work on your product while balancing all of your other obligations when it's not something currently bringing in any money? And how do you justify sacrificing the family time to devote to something that may or may not work out? So first of all, let's make sure like we're asking ourselves positive questions about instead of how can I justify this? maybe how can I do this in as little time as possible? Or what's the least amount of time this needs to take? Or how can I do this in just one hour a day or one hour a week? Because especially with that first launch, like, well, yes, it's important to do a good job. It's also is just important to get that ball rolling and to get that first launch under your belt and start moving forward. And it's more important to, I think, consistently put in the time and consistently start making some progress rather than make that first launch be massively successful. Like, for example, in Validate, We have designed the program so that most people can complete the eight-week program, putting in about three to five hours per week. It depends on the week. The first couple weeks are really calm, and then you kind of ramp up throughout the program, and then it cools off at the end. 
But, you know, that's less than an hour a day. So it really doesn't have to take a lot of time. This doesn't need to be, you know, another 40-hour week job by any means. I think that anyone can launch their first product, launch a digital course in as little as just a couple hours a week over the course of a couple months. It doesn't have to be more than that. The other thing is you mentioned it kind of feels like a hobby at this point. So my question back for you is like, how much time do you think is reasonable for you to spend on a hobby that you're excited about on a regular basis? You know, like, is that an hour a week? Is that an hour a day? I'm assuming that there's some amount of time that you would think like is reasonable for you to spend on yourself, on your hobby of choice, whether that's an hour a day or just an hour or two a week. But whatever that time is, right now, this is the hobby you're the most excited about. And so just rather than doing whatever the other hobby is, whether that's watercolor painting or just scrolling on Facebook, you know, whatever the time waster is, like, let's just redirect that time and consider that your me time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I often find myself in any moment where I am relaxing in any way, feeling like I should be working on this instead. Like if I lay down to watch a Mm -hmm. movie or something, I'm like, I should really be working on this course. Like I really want to get everything out there and I want to get it into the world and I want to, that's just how I am. But at the same time, I don't want to be taking my attention away from the things that are right in front of me, from the family that I have, from the Mm -hmm. work that I am already doing that is supporting that family. So that just, that kind of felt like it was tied into launching with no audience because it's just in its infancy hobby-like feel. So I just, and and I knew that that was probably something that you've experienced given how you balance work and life and how you've talked about that so much in different ways. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think there's a few different aspects of what you're talking about there, about like maybe feeling guilty about spending your time on other things. Like, first of all, acknowledging that there is some truth in that, right? If you really want this, maybe we shouldn't be watching a movie. And also keeping in mind that this is for a season, right? We're not talking about like never watching a movie again, right? We're talking about like, until this makes money, you know, maybe we could not watch a movie for the next couple of months and spend any time we would have watched a movie or, you know, whatever the thing is or the multiple things are, just redirect that time just for a couple of months till we start making some money, till we have some information. Then we can decide like, should maybe this, you know, take a, a small spot of priority on my schedule so that I can continue to build this business? Should it take a backseat? You know, maybe I don't want to do this after all. Maybe you learn that, right? And then I also think it's important to differentiate between different activities you might replace it with. So maybe there are some things that you were doing by yourself, like either hobbies you were doing or ways you were relaxing by yourself, that this could take the time of that, but then not replacing your like family leisure time, going to the park with your kids or watching a movie with your husband, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. The last question that I have sort of comes more out of left field. It's not really tied into anything that we were discussing before, but what are your thoughts on providing free samples to people? I know that in the form of like a tripwire offer or something where it's like, oh, if you provide me with your email address, then I'll send you this freebie online versus when you're giving free samples of the product that you're creating within your network to people you know as a way of just getting some feedback on the course itself or the product itself and getting some of those testimonials. Do you find value in providing freebies and free samples within your network? Or is that something that you should hold off on because you're really trying to prove that people are willing to pay for it? I I mean, more for like an informational standpoint, like to get their feedback, to get some testimonials. Yeah, well, the way you're presenting it, I am actually a big fan of this idea. Whenever I think about samples, I think about Costco. You go into Costco, right? They give you samples. (laughs) 
And it takes you from someone who's walking past a product on the shelf that you've never bought before and you don't have a taste good and so you don't care about it to suddenly thinking about buying it and maybe buy, right? It makes a big difference. And no one's going to not buy the thing because they had a sample of it, right? Hopefully. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Hopefully. Like they give you a sample of a cookie. You're like, well, I already had one, so I don't need them. Like that was delicious enough. No more, thank you. Either you liked it and you buy it or you didn't like it and no bite. And the same thing can be done with an online course or some other types of products. But I think it's really important that we think about it that way, that we think about giving people a sample, you know, or maybe getting people feedback rather than like, let's just give away boxes of product to see if people like it, okay? That's not what they do at Costco. They don't be like, I'm giving away boxes of crackers today in the hopes that you might come back next time and buy one. That's not how it works, you know? Or in the hopes you might go tell someone that these crackers were really delicious. (laughs) So make sure that what you're giving actually is a sample. But this is really effective because especially when you have a small audience, you are missing some of the factors that make people potentially trust you and be delayed to buy from. In short, you're missing the social clout, okay? There's not as much social proof that your products are good. Not that that actually proves anything, but as humans, we tend to feel like if other people are paying attention to this, it must be popular, it must be cool. I'd want it too. And so when you don't have literally a big number of followers next to your name on Instagram, people are less likely to buy your product even if they find your product, okay? We need to work on overcoming that hurdle. And one way we can do it is by giving samples of the product or by giving demos of the product. So this might be like a video that you have on your website that is a tour of your online course, okay? Showing people what it is, explaining to people how it works, showing people how it works, showing people testimonials is another way of actually giving people kind of a sample, okay? Showing that it worked for someone else. And also even giving a free lesson or giving one of the worksheets for free and even completely for free, like you were talking about. Now, of course, it's great if we can capture that lead so that we can follow up with them. But I would rather have you give away things completely for free and not get a lead than do neither of those things. Okay. Because some of those people who take the freebie are going to come back to you because they liked it. Now, there are things you can do to make this more likely. For example, putting your name or your business name or and your website on the freebie so they can remember where it came from, making it something useful that they will, you know, maybe print out and pull out over and over again, like a resource or having a video where they actually see your face and they hear your name and then you teach them something impactful. I'm just saying that there are things you can give for free that are going to do a better job of getting people to come back to you than other things. So especially if you are not capturing their lead information, that becomes even more important. Awesome. Yeah. I had an opportunity where I realized that I just happened to be sort of sitting in a room filled with my main audience, like who I would choose to try and market my product to. In my case, it would be parents of young adults and young adults. And I was in a high school situation where I was in a room of all these people. And I got the chance to chat with them and talk to them and sort of get that, that initial feedback. And it was wonderful to get to hear their words about it, to, to see how they responded to it. But I, but after that, I was like, okay, now that just kind of happened as a fluke on its own. So now let's say I wanted to try and recreate a situation like that, where I would go to like the high school principal or a guidance counselor and say, I would love to present this product to your PTA or to some of your students. I can offer you this free sample. Like that's in my mind, I was thinking of doing, of going, hey, I can give you a couple of the videos of the course that kind of highlight some of the content. 
maybe give it to a student that wouldn't otherwise be able to afford the course as a sample, things like that, just to sort of get yourself in the door with people that you're just introducing yourself to. Uh Is that an effective way to create a connection with your target audience or is it a little bit shady? So I love the idea. I actually think that maybe one of the most effective ways you could do that would be instead of being like, I'll give you a a few videos from my online course, if instead you came with a printout. And instead, it was a few pages of information and maybe, again, like some actually useful resources like a checklist or a list of resources. And then on the bottom of each of those pages, you have your website. On the last page, you have kind of an ad about your course. That is going to be something tangible that they will take. Just with giving the free videos to the course, first of all, you really devalued them by making them free, right? So now it's like, people don't have time for it because it didn't come at any cost to them. Doesn't seem like this is really worth anything. And then there is this layer of friction for them to get access to it, which is they have to remember to go on their computer and type in your website URL or something like that, maybe enter a password. There's just that friction there. And since they already feel like it's not worth very much, then they're not going to overcome that friction. So by handing them something physical, I think it will seem a little bit more valuable just because it has weight to it. They can hold it in their hands. They can immediately see it is helpful because at a glance, they can look at it and they will potentially use it and keep it around. So I think that that's going to do a lot more, even though it won't like get them on your website where they could immediately buy your product. Gotcha. Okay. Well, this has been incredible. Those were all of the questions that I had prepared. Is there anything else surrounding the topic of launching to no audience or to a very, very small personal audience? that you feel like I am missing, that you'd like to touch upon since having this conversation to sort of fill in any gaps? You know, Jenna, those were amazing questions. And I think there's lots more that could be said around this topic. But as far as like episode length, I think that we are at our limit here and we've covered a lot of good stuff. And if you have more questions, I would love to follow up with you. Like as you're going through this process, if you're like, wait, what do I do about this? (laughs) Like follow up with me and I would love to tackle that with you. You know, maybe even do a round two of an episode like this if there's more than a few questions. That would be spectacular. This was completely incredible. I'm so grateful to have had this opportunity to come on here and get to really chat directly with you and learn from you. I mean, I'm a member of Validate. I'm a member of Startup Society. And it's already just having that support and the wealth of knowledge that you have that and your team has that I don't have. There's plenty of things that I could speak intelligently about. But in this case, online course creation is not one of them. So I'm learning a great deal from you guys. And this was absolutely epic. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here and for taking the time to put these questions together. Thank you so much for being on the show, Jenna. Thank you. It was really nice to meet you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Work Less, Earn More. Now, here's what I want you to do next. Take a screenshot of this episode you're listening to right now and share it out on your Instagram stories. And when you do, make sure you tag me at Gillian Z Perkins so I can see you're listening. Sharing on stories is going to help more people find this podcast so they too can learn how to build their business in a way that allows them to work less and earn more. And if you really love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts right now and leave Work Less, Earn More a review to give it a boost and help even more people find it. Okay, let's wrap this up. I'm Gillian Perkins. And until next week, stay focused and take action.